little bit more personal because we asked the question, who is my mission? Oh, it's up there it says, I think it says, who is, oh, it says, who is my mission? So it's actually a question that you're asking yourself. And, and for some of us, it can start to freak us out a little bit because we, we love to, I suppose, think in the third person, well, the church's mission is this. And, and, and oh, the pastor should be doing this. Or those leaders should be doing that. But when we start asking the question, who is my mission? All of a sudden, it sort of puts the, that reality a little bit closer to me. Who am I meant to be sharing with? And there was a, a Christian um, man who, who owned a barber shop that was in that similar situation. He felt really challenged at church one night and um, he was burdened to do more with his testimony for, for Jesus. And so the next uh, evening, he signed up for a course at the church called the Soul Winner Class. And so he attended faithfully every night for two weeks, learning all the things. They rehearsed the materials, they took extensive notes, memorised the Bible verses that they needed. And at the end of two weeks, he received the plaque acknowledging his completion of the course, which is great. He's finished the course, he's ready to go. The next morning in the barbershop, he hung the plaque and he bowed his head and he prayed, Dear Lord, help me to witness to the first man to come through the door this morning. At that moment, in walked the biggest, meanest, foulest man the barber had ever seen. It seemed this man had recently lost a bet with some biker buddies and now he had to get his head shaved. Needless to say, the barber did not feel comfortable quoting the Roman road to the man with a tattoo on his neck. The rest of the day did not go any better for the barber and at 5pm the barber was almost crying with shame. He had not witnessed to a single person. He bowed his head again. He said this time he prayed, Lord, if you will allow me one more opportunity, I promise I will do my part. At that, the door opened and in walked a pleasant-looking gentleman. The man smiled at the barber, apologised for coming in so late and took a seat in the chair. As the barber draped the man in his protective sheet, he began to try and remember what he was supposed to say. He began to get very confused and as the barber put shaving cream on the man's face, he tried to remember the answers he had learnt to the possible objections. As the barber began to... To, to, shy, to get his razor ready, he realised he simply could not remember a thing he'd learned and this made the barber very nervous and he soon sweat began to break out on his forehead. Finally, in desperation, he shook the razor at the man and screamed, Are you prepared to die? <laughs> Probably not the best way of going about starting off evangelising someone. Um, it probably will bring them closer to God than you want them. Um, it could bring you closer to the police than you want to go as well. But yeah, we are in week four of our Made for Mission and we, today we are talking about um, who is my mission? Who are we called to go share with? And so just to give a quick review, week one, we are, we are, if we are a follower of Jesus, then we are put on this planet for a reason. We are called to be a part of the mission that God has called every Christian to be a part of. There is no doubt in that. It's not selective. It is quite broad. And each one of us, even from our young ones, they're not excluded. You old ones, you're not excluded. Okay? So if you can't hear me, the old ones, you're not excluded. Just so make sure you can hear me. And everyone in the middle, everyone in the middle, everyone in the middle, you're included as well. And so all of us are called to be a part of... Um, the mission that God has put us on. Week two, we ask the question, what's my mission? And it is about, in a nutshell, your mission is Jesus' mission. 
It is to grow in relationship with God and to introduce him to others. It's about intentionally using your life and how God has shaped you to promote God's kingdom. And the thing is, as I look out in this room, God has made us very differently. We have people from different countries. We have people that um, work in a wide range of fields. God does not want us to reach in the same way to people. Okay, like some people may reach people like fishing on a boat better than any, but ever coming to church. Some people may sort of um, build relationships over a long period of time. Some people may love sport. Some people may love movies. But some people may sort of love having coffee, maybe too much. I love having coffee. But God can use those things and those times if you say, God, take this and I want to use it for your glory. So we need to remember that. Week three, we unpack how you can actually in- introduce him. We answer the question, what's my message? And so again, we had looked at a few. Again, it's really about sharing the goodness that God has shown you. But if you're wanting some more specific ways of sharing, we looked at um, the circle illustration, the bridge illustration, and the, color, the gospel colours. So again, if you weren't here last week and you're wanting some links to that, please let me know. And so, and, and also, it was also, it was also about us sharing our story. Because each one of us have a story of how God has been good to us. Not about blessing us. Not saying, oh, God has actually given me a new Ferrari, so you should follow him too. Um, one... If you're driving that Ferrari, you haven't driven it to church yet. And two, um, that's not what God is talking about. He's talking about those things that make life better. He's talking about God's love. He's talking about God's grace. He's talking about God's joy that you can have driving the car that doesn't actually quite make it to church. You can have joy in that because it is separate from our situation in life. And today we basically start to look at the question, who is my mission? Who is my mission? And again, that question will be answered differently or should be answered differently for each one of us. And we're going to look at that today. See, Jesus knew all people. He knew what was inside them. And as he started his ministry, as this is in the Gospel of John, he actually gives us two polar opposites, examples of the kinds of people that God loves to work with. So first of all, we pick it up in John um, chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this is the chapter before from what Alison read out, but just to give you a bit of contrast to who Jesus reached out to, most of us would think, well, this is the kind of people that we should be going to talk to. This was a religiously interested man. He was actually one of the, the ruling people in, in the Jewish um, temple, and um, he knew all about God, and he was asking more questions. And... and I think some of us still freak out of these situations, but it makes it easier. When someone comes up and asks us questions about Jesus, we can, that we know, we go, oh yeah, I can answer that. Like, oh yeah, I can, I can tell you more about God. But when someone comes up and says, well, God's not real, okay, that, that's a little bit harder for me to answer. But like, so Nicodemus fell into the easy basket, relatively speaking. He was someone who was definitely interested and actually had come to Jesus by secret to find out more. So if someone actually knocks on your door at some weird kind of night and says, I want to find out more about Jesus, well, you might want to sort of rearrange the time or something like that, but you can actually tell that they're pretty interested. You can tell that they want to know more. Um, so he has a conversation with this man and, and basically, um, 
and John actually places this story deliberately before chapter 4, I think to show, I suppose, the breadth of what Jesus did when he came to sharing who God was. So we pick it up and the story that happens in chapter um, 4 is the, the person in question is vastly different in situation and character. Um, so we, we read just in verses um, 1 to 6 real quickly. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard uh, that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised but his disciples. Just pausing right there, Jesus did not baptise anyone so that no one could make the claim that I was baptised by Jesus and claim some greater air of authority. Um, and we even see it in the later church when people said, well, I'm a disciple of Paul, I'm a disciple of Apollos. Our human nature kicks in at times and saying, well, I'm better than you because this happened in my life. So Jesus said, because I know what you're like, I'm not going to baptise anyone. My disciples will baptise baptize you. So he left Judea, so that's down south of, of the country of Israel, and went back once more to Galilee. Now that's at the north, and so he has to travel right through. Um, now he had to go through Samaria, and he came to the town of um, Samaria um, called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So geography is important in this because we see Jesus travelling from one side of the country to the other, but he actually travelled through a part of the country that Jews often did not travel through. Um, they would often go out of their way to, to skip this part of town because it was full of Samaritans. Now, Samaritans basically were were Jews that had intermarried or people that had not remained true to their Jewish faith. And so the Jews actually really looked down on them. They, it, it wasn't, they didn't have a nice thought about them. And so disciples were probably wondering why Jesus was... It was probably a little bit shorter, but Jesus... Good Jews often went around this place. Um, and so... Jesus sat down from a well and, and, and basically we, we see this significant event unfold right in front of us. Um, just Jesus and this woman. And we pick up at verse 7 of John. And when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Her disciple had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ha ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life you see as we seek to answer this question who is my mission I think it is interesting how different people in the scene apparently saw this woman and how the woman saw herself a Samaritan woman came at noon shame over her past how the disciples saw her and, and the thing is they're not even mentioned in the scene but you assume that they probably walked past her as they went back into the town and what's worse when they, when they, when they came back they did not engage this woman at all 
You see, the only one that really engaged this woman in the story at all to begin with was Jesus. The disciples kind of came back and they saw Jesus talking with this woman and instead of joining with the conversation, they kind of stayed back. They ignored her altogether. But it's also important that not only how people saw her, how she saw herself or the disciples saw her, it was important to note how Jesus saw her. Again, we see when Jesus looks at people around him, he sees undeniable worth. Undeniable worth. Worth going out of his way to, to meet her. Worth overcoming any social and barriers that are in front of him. He was happy to talk to a woman. He was happy to ask for help from a woman. He was happy to ask for help from a Samaritan woman. He was happy to ask for help from a Samaritan woman who was outcast from her own society. So Jews didn't like regular Samaritans. And she was a step further. Jesus went a long way to sort of bridge that gap because he saw her worth. And Jesus actually also saw her persistence. And you might ask, where, where do you see her persistence? Well, check out what happens as we continue on um, in chapter 4, but jumping down to verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I've heard so many sermons about focusing on the woman's sinfulness and shame. And yes, that's part of her story. But what we need to realise from a culture is that the men actually in, the, in this situation have probably had been quite uh, emotionally at least abusive towards her. It's very easy for a man to walk away from a marriage and to make um, decisions. And so all of a sudden the shame builds up on her and the men walk away scot-free. And we see the same idea when the, the, the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. There would have been two caught in that act. And there was only one brought before Jesus. Again, you can speculate why, but whatever, for whatever reason, the man in that situation was allowed to go scot-free. Whereas the woman was brought to Jesus in, in guilt. In the same way, she's come before Jesus and she's bearing the burden for the shame by herself. Yet she, here she is. She is not giving up. She is still going. She's still day after day going out to the well to get the water. Maybe everyone else missed that, what Jesus saw because he knew what was inside her. And this becomes obvious later in the story. But check out the best part in John 4, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. The very next verse, um, Jesus actually left for Galilee after the two days. So the reality is there's this impromptu spiritual revival among the Samaritans that goes on for two days. But how does this happen? The very woman the people had cast aside comes back to the village, the village that had rejected her, and convinces them to meet her new friend and saviour, Jesus. 
Now, again, for, for most of us, we, we look probably for the easiest way for us to share our faith. If we're forced to do it, I'm happy to hand out a flyer. I'm happy to say you go, should go talk to my pastor. Uh, you should go check out this website. We, we, we might direct people in all kinds of different directions. We, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, some of us may be really content saying, oh, my testimony is the way I live my life. And so they, they'll be able to know about Jesus through the way I live. Now, again, that's, that, first of all, that could be a bit of, pretty bold claim for some of us. Because like, we, maybe we don't live the way we should live all the time. And maybe our life doesn't show a testimony of what God has done in our life all the time. But I will say this, our words are necessary. But in saying that, she would have had to go back and to convince these people to come. And it wouldn't have been easy for her because these are people that ignored her at the best of times. And here she was trying to make a case for them to go out in the middle of the day the shameful part of day, to go out to the well and to meet this man that she had met. She would have had to plead with them. She would have had to beg them. She would have had to do everything she could have done to get them to move to go see Jesus. But she would have been one special lady and one of the most surprising and dynamic, um, I suppose, influences in the New Testament. Why do I say that? Because all of a sudden we see a whole town has been moved by her testimony. The people that surrounded her were moved to go meet Jesus. And we see those words later on. They're saying, we no longer believe because what you said, we now believe for ourselves. But she would have been so convincing about what Jesus had done just in a moment that she had convinced them by her testimony. Think about it. This was the very woman that the disciples passed by without ever saying a word to. This was also the very same, pers- uh, same people that the disciples had seen when they walked into the village to buy food. The disciples, those people that followed Jesus every day, had gone into that town and had no influence on them. It never crossed their minds to share with them, yet this woman sees the people that desperately needed to meet their Saviour. Why? Because they would have still been people that she cared about. They were still people that were on her heart. And that becomes a key, because when we ask that question, who is my mission, the answer is, is simple, yet layered. I'll put it that way. Who is my mission? Everybody is our mission. Now, I, don't, I, want, to, I, I want to clarify this statement in two ways. First of all, everyone in the world is our mission, no matter their background, current situation, or whatever category you can place, should be, in principle, our goal. Okay? We want to see the world reach for Jesus. That means everyone. And if someone here is, is gifted as an evangelist, and that's one of something that God has given you to go out and share your faith in a dynamic and dramatic way, you'll be on board and you'll go, you're going to run with that real quickly. And so I'm talking about the spiritual gift of evangelism. Now, for those of you that don't have that gift, and I'm not sure if you go, oh, you're disappointed at this point in time, or you go, phew, I don't have to do that. Well, that's not quite true either because you're not off the hook. Because the second lesson we need to learn from what Jesus said, um, learn from Jesus to the Samaritan woman is this. God has strategically placed you where you are to reach one or some. Does everyone here go to the same workplace? No, no? Okay, so straight away we have at least more than one workplace we can reach. Um, does anyone here live in the same street? So, so not as some people live in the same place, so but not everyone at the same same place. So, so all of a sudden we've got different streets. Um, do we all 
we have, all have different families. We all have uh, different uh, hobbies and interests. Anyone here who's involved in sport in some way? Um, some, anyway, yeah, so um, is lawn bowls a sport? Like, I'm not sure. Um, I anyway, but that, I suppose there's, there's a high level of skill in there. Like, um, um, it's just not overly active. Um, but, but the thing is, so if you're into sport, anyone here love playing music? So we've got a whole lot of people that have a range of different things. Now, God has uniquely wrapped you up. And so who here is at school? Okay, some people don't know they're at school, so that's a bit scary. Um, put up your hand if you're in primary school. Oh, there we go. Put up your hand if you're in high school. Um, put up your hand if you're in university. Okay, so all of a sudden, we have people that are studying, um, school, high school, university. We've got people that are working. We've got people in a range of situations. So God uniquely wraps us up and saying, at this point in time in your life, you have been put there on purpose and God can use that situation and use you in that situation to reach one or some. So even though the answer is everyone, let's just bring it back down to get an answer. Who is my mission? Who has God put in front of me right now? How can God use my life to reach people? Notice that this woman goes back to town where she was from and it was probably out of her comfort zone still, but she felt compelled to share those that she did life with. There is a Greek word that is mentioned throughout the New Testament that helps us answer this, the question. The word is, and I'm not sure if that my pronunciation is Greek, so I'm just going to pronounce it my way, oikos. It was the ancient Greek equivalent of a household, a house or a family. And the average oikos is usually made up to about 18 to 15 people. Those people that are close and wrapped up around your life. In Luke 8, the demon-possessed man was told to return to his household, his oikos, and describe the great things done for him. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus was told salvation had come to his household, his oikos. Um, John 4, the centurion's whole household, the oikos, was saved following the healing of his son. In Acts 10, Cornelius was a righteous man who feared God with all his household, his oikos. And in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer has his entire household, his oikos, baptised in the middle of the night. Um, So what does that look like for us? See, God has intentionally and strategically placed you in your, fa- in your family, in your friendships, in your neighbourhood and workplace to reach out to those who are already doing, you're already doing life with. And the one easy way to think about it is to think France. Okay, that could be a bit confusing for you, but most of you, hopefully most of you got one of these when you came in. So this is a little bit of a worksheet that you can do on your own. But basically, France stands for friends relatives, acquaintances, neighbours, co-workers or classmates, and for some of you it might be both, and to keep your eyes open. So what I want you to do, I want you to take some time this week and actually start to fill out those circles. To think of your friends that you, that you care about, the people that are important to you that know, don't know Jesus. Write their names in. Okay, Don't just think about it. Write their names in. Even if it's one, write their names in. Think of relatives. It may be your children. It might be your parents. It might be uncles. It might be other relatives. Put their names in. People that, you know what, I want to see them come to know God. And then it could be acquaintances. 
Uh, and I've, I've got acquaintances, people that I know, people that I, I do stuff along, that, you know what, I'd love to see them come to know Jesus. They, I wouldn't classify them as close friends, but I'm, I'm doing life with them. Your neighbours. Now, again, that can be your direct neighbours. It could be people in your street. Um, I know when I grew up, there were a number of families up our street that my brothers and I connected with. And so it may not be the next next door neighbour, but it might be those in your street that you've, you've got a connection with. That, and maybe, again, God has placed him right next to you. It might mean going and saying g'day and having a chat and, and, and inviting him over for a coffee or inviting him over for a meal. It, it could mean that you use something that you already do. Who, who here is planning on having dinner tonight? Some people aren't certain. If this is really... Like, are we all dieting or something? Like, it looks like we're all dieting. But, like, if you're planning to have a meal tonight or any other, every night this week, you might want to go, oh, you know what? Okay, it's going to cost a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit awkward, but I'm going to invite someone to come and be a part of that meal for the purpose of getting to know them, to be reaching into their lives. Can we look at co-workers or classmates? Again, I want to put a challenge to you, you your university, your, our school students, one of the things um, was said to me when I was in school that this is probably the greatest time in your life where you are surrounded by more and more people that you have the opportunity to influence. You have a wide range of friends. Uh, in high school, it gets broader again. And the thing is, as you find, as you start working, your sphere of life shrinks. Sometimes it shrinks dramatically. Like if you go into an office where you're working with two or three people, yeah, your life really shrinks. But at the moment... Like, you might be in a class of 30 people. You might be in multiple classes of 30 people. You have the opportunity to influence them and build relationship with them. But most importantly is to keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for opportunity. Keep your eyes open for that person who's asking that very direct question. Keeping your eyes open for strangers that might just be looking for someone that the Holy Spirit has brought them your way. And they go, you know what? This person needs to know about God. And I'm going to be... I don't know if I'm going to be the final step, but I'm going to be the next step for them. Um, I'm not sure if I shared last week. I think it's like um, at least seven to ten times people have some kind of spiritual interaction before they come to faith. And so you might be number one. That's great. You might be number seven. Great. Or you might be along the way, but make, may take advantage of that. So take some time to do this as homework this week. You may even want to share with someone. Hey, maybe even share in your small groups and say, this is my um, France. This is my France. These are the people that I'm looking to share with. These are the people I'm praying with. And you might go, you know what? This friend, though, I'm really close. I've been sharing life with already. I've been having opportunities to, to talk about God. And we can get really actively praying about that with each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up around there because what we're really looking at when we answer that question, who is our mission? It is those people who are in our lives. Um, and for some of us, we might go, but I don't have any non-Christian friends. Again, I think your eyes would be a little bit shut if you don't realise people that are around you. And it might be taking a step out into a situation that maybe you go, well, that's not, I, I don't share about God there. Again, it's about using your life, the life that you've been strategically placed in, to share about what God has done. But I want to wrap up this morning by just praying a simple prayer. I want to pray this prayer together. I'm going to put it up on the, on the screen. Uh, I think I've got it up there. Then. Um, Lord, would you give me a heart for the lost? Because when we ask that question, who is our mission, if we are, if we are looking to share with people that are on our heart, 
that, are, that we care about, that we, we, we actively want to see them in heaven. We want to actively see them enjoy the life that God has. It should affect our motivation. Next, next week we're going to talk about why we are on mission, which sort of leads us and motivates us a little bit more. But this kind of leads us in that direction because we want to have the heart of God when it looks at the lost around us. And so right now I want us all to stand and we're going to pray this prayer together. And it might be a prayer that you can pray each day. Lord, help me have a heart. Give, would you give me a heart for the lost? Okay, so let's just stand up on the, on the count of three. We'll pray this prayer together. One, two, three. Lord, would you give me your heart for the lost? Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And again, when it comes to who, it's a simple thing. And it's about desiring to share our lives and what God has done it with those people around us that we care for. And so, again, I just challenge you to, to not dismiss that, but use, use your time with God this week to start thinking more specifically about that. Uh, we're going to sort of finish our service off um, today um, by singing the song Sing and Shout, which really talks about really living out there with the message that God has given us. And I pray you'd go into this week ready to share what God has done in your life.